Are you coming back? You want to be on the podcast? You want to be on the podcast? Hey, everybody. My blind husky was leaving the room just as I was recording, but I think he heard me. <laughs> I don't know if he knew I was here or not, but he heard me when I was turning my mic on. And he was like, oh, are we hanging out in here? I want to I wanna hang out. I want to be on the podcast. So he's here with us. He can't see us, but he can he can feel our head scratches. How are you? I am thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest. We have another expert interview for you. Oh, yes, you good boy. Oh, yes, you good boy. Yes. Uh, this is my friend, uh, Sarah Fisk. Sarah Fisk is a coach. And this was such a fun conversation because we don't actually know each other that well. We did Maggie Reyes's six-month marriage coaching program together. And you can go listen to Maggie's interview next because she's been on the podcast as well. So you can go listen to that to get more of the context of Sarah's and my shared experience. But this was such a great conversation because she is a coach for people pleasers. And I just needed to talk to her because I was like, I coach overthinkers you coach people pleasers and like samesies, right? <laughs> There's so much overlap. And really it's often all the same kinds of problems that we are working on in these types of programs. We're just putting different lenses on through which to look at them, you know what I mean? So we just have so much in common and that we geek out about and that we love talking about and helping people with that we've helped ourselves with. And it's just one of those kindred connections, you know, which are so fun to have in the world. So I'm just so excited for you to hear her wisdom about people pleasing. Ugh, it's so good. Okay, so let me give you her bio so we can get into it. Stop talking, Kirsten. Colby's left. He got bored. Sarah Bybee Fisk is a master certified coach and instructor who teaches women how to eliminate people pleasing and perfectionism from their lives. She is an anxious optimist and born-again feminist who listens to more books than she actually sits down to read. She loves a good hike, good dark chocolate, good conversations, and her big dreams include learning to sail and to sing and dance like J-Lo and helping thousands of women create big, juicy lives they want to be living. I feel like this is another reason we get along. We say things like juicy in our bios. <laughs> She is a wife and mom of five, and she enjoys those roles most of the time. Her words. You can find Sarah at sarahfisk.coach. It's Sarah without an H. It's linked in the show notes. And she's on Instagram, Sarah Fisk Coach, and Facebook, Sarah Fisk Coaching. So please enjoy hearing about how you can end people-pleasing and perfectionism and love the decisions you make in our conversation. Hello, Kristen Parker. How are you? I am so pleased to be here with you. You are probably one of my favorite people who don't maybe don't know you're one of my favorite people. I just think you're so down to earth. I love, yeah, keep it coming. Keep it, that I, will, I will receive that. When I, you know, you and I have been in a marriage coaching container together and I just found like that every time you shared, it just really felt like it landed with me as well. Same. I would message you and be like, I'm in your brain. <laughs> yeah. You're in my brain. Yes. Yes, which so is so helpful. We're in totally different places in our marriage. Like I will have been married for 24 years this next April and you 
kind of just got married, right? I just yeah, we are like one and a half years in. Yeah, yeah, and I'm 23 and a half years in, and but our brains are the same. (laughs) Same brains, and that's why I love like that was such a great experience of group coaching. This is Maggie Reyes's group coaching, everybody, and you can go listen to her interview next after this. It's I can't remember what episode it is, but it's in the teens, I think. But I was so it's it's like we don't have to have anything in common except our human brain Absolutely. and our desire yeah. that we like showed up to this coaching container for, totally. which is yeah, have a better experience in the marriage. Yeah. I love it. Done. So good. Yeah. <gasps> Welcome to the Decision Masters podcast. Thank you so much. I decided to be here. <laughs> right? I can't <laughs> wait to talk all things decision making with you. And yeah. I have... We, I want to talk about your morning because you had an interesting morning today. Yes, yes. And then I want to like let everyone in on all of your people-pleasing wisdom. Perfect. So this morning, I I have a friend who has done cold plunging for a long time. She has autoimmune issues. And, and I think, I don't know, I, I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening will identify with when you have a health issue – but it's not that it's, it's like bad, but then it's okay. Then it flares up, but then it's okay again. I think women who are type A or who just feel really entwined with like getting things done as a way to feel valuable and worthy, we put off taking care of ourselves because that doesn't really count, (laughs) right? It doesn't, doing something for someone else counts in a bigger way or we tell ourselves that it does than doing something for myself. And so this morning I went with her and I, my personality also tends to be, you know, bent toward, I'm going to do the biggest, the hardest thing, the longest, the most difficult. That was definitely how I was raised. My dad, I remember him telling me specifically, like, do the thing nobody else wants to do, do the thing that's hardest first, do that. And so What I didn't know at the time was that that just primed me for like grind culture, (laughs) you know, Mm. where the harder it is, the more you should be willing to do it. The longer it takes, just the grind and hustle and grind and hustle and grind and hustle. And so to decide to go this morning was actually a big deal for me. And then when I got to the plunge place, there is a 32 degree pool and like a 40 ish degree (laughs) And of course, my brain's like, you got to do the hard one. You got to do the one that. Yes. But I was like, I actually don't have to. There's nothing. There is no moral value. There is no, there's no, you know, ribbon you get at the end for either one. And so I decided mm. I don't have to do the hard thing. And then when I got in the water, it's like my body was like, thank you for not doing the hard thing. Like, thank you for giving oh, us a chance wow. to just like ease into this as if 40 degree water is easing in. It really wasn't. But that was just my big takeaway is like, I have, I have um, romanticized like the big hard thing, go big or go home, go, you know, that. And I'm just like, why? I mean, that's just like, why? There's no good reason. And so I'm just seeing how my romanticization of, grind and hustle culture has really contributed to some health issues that I'm addressing now. 
But also, mm-hmm. like, I just love the question, like, why? <laughs> why? There's no moral value. There's there's no prize. And it's okay to rest. It's okay to take it easy. It's okay to not, like, doing the hard thing has no higher value oftentimes than than the easy thing. Like, the the health benefits are the same. So that was what I did this morning. Oh, my God. So we could talk about that for five hours because the the big romanticized harder is better grind idea. Yeah. I think it's tricky because it works for some things for yeah. us, right? Yeah, for us totally. high achieving type A, like why settle for something ordinary, for something less prestigious, less uh grand when we could do the big things and then we do the big things and we're like, oh yeah, this is fun. I'm just going to keep being like this forever. Yeah. You think? Yeah. And, and, and I think you're right in that in certain situations we are rewarded like, oh my gosh, you did the 32 degree pool. You're amazing. You must be like, I, I can imagine thinking that that's what other people would think of me. Yeah. And and we do want to shape other people's opinions and thoughts about us. And I really don't think that we are ever going to fully get away from that. But I think the important question to ask is at what cost to me and why, why do I, why is this important? Why does it matter? And so I have a very gracious eye or ear or heart, whatever, toward my desire to shape other people's opinions of me because I I really believe it is something I'll never get away from. I think us as humans just will never get away from wanting to shape what other people think and say about us. Yeah. But at what cost? I think is for me the question that has really helped me to settle down and to be like, yeah, I would love it if I could make everybody only think nice and wonderful things about me all the time. But what does that cost me? Oh my gosh. Okay. So how do... First of all, I want to ask, I'm like telling my brain, don't forget this. You want to ask like, what does someone do when they legitimately are like, I want this person to not be mad at me. I want this mentor to like me. I want these things. So what do we do? And we're like going to ask that next. But I feel like this permission you're giving yourself, me, everyone on the planet to choose how above and beyond it's not even like we think about above and beyond as a fact it's like there's worse and there's better right and I think that what what I'm getting is just like permission to rest yeah permission to like do something that feels like doing less like feels like easing into it when it's 40 degrees and not 32 degrees but also questioning like zooming out enough to just question like is it worse or is it just different it right? is all made up. Yes. We make it all up, right? It's, yes. and it's And and I think that as a society, we have collective things that we have made up, like harder is better. Um, yeah. But I think the ultimate test of your personhood, your sovereignty is to realize, okay, this is all made up. Do I want to go along with what's made up? I can. Or do I want to make something up for myself that feels better, that serves me? That I think is like 
ninja sovereignty right there is to to really be able to see mm. like I could totally go along with what 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 society is making up as a whole. Yes, that's an option. Or I can make something up that works for me. Yes, ninja sovereignty. I'm obsessed with it because and that's like so many of my clients and I I I believe that yours are similar buy in so much to the societal agreements. Oh. And even on a deeper yeah. level, like their industry agreements, right? Where yes. like we get in the mode of operating where, well, I can't not consider, like I'm. I, there's a tenure track over here. Yes. Like I can't not consider it. Yes. Like, so my only options are this or this other thing. And I all, like this ninja sovereignty is so good because I always like bringing in this option like, you know, you could pack up and leave tomorrow. Yeah. You could go start another life as a scuba instructor in yes. Bali. I don't even know if they scuba in Bali, but yeah. like you could. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. could do that. Yeah. And it's not better or worse. It's all made up. But even just like popping the little thought bubbles that are like, this is a fact. This is better. This is my only option. Ninja sovereignty. One of the, I think the ways to to hack that or to get into it is in my program called Stop People Pleasing. We do a whole yes. two week immersion into just what do I want? Mm. Like I've crafted this whole life as like the good girl, the good mom, the good wife, the good daughter, the good sister. What would a bad sister do? What would a bad wife do? A bad And letting all of that come out, not because I'm going to do it, Mm -hmm. But because it opens up wanting in me and then I can really figure out, okay, so let's say that I want to eat ice cream twice a day, right? That's, that's what the bad health Sarah would want. Do I actually want ice cream twice a day? Well, I mean, some, some days, yeah, but I also don't want the consequences of eating ice cream twice a day. So if I can, we're so used to shutting down our wants. You can't have that. That's bad for you. That's a terrible idea. Nobody does that, right? We're so used to shutting ourselves down that what I love is to draw those wants to the surface and just look at them to see if there's Mm. any information that we can get from them that actually is compatible with everything that we want. So I don't want to eat ice cream twice a day because I really don't want the consequences of eating ice cream twice a day. But what is that really about? Mm. It's about pleasure. It's about taking care of myself with something that feels like a little naughty, a little like a treat. So can I have more? Is there other ways I can get more pleasure in my life? Definitely. Are there other ways that I can have more, um, spontaneous treat moments. Definitely. It doesn't have to be ice cream. It totally could be ice cream, like no shame on ice cream. Right. But I find that when you're really wanting to get sovereign, you have to know what you want. You have to admit, like some days I want to run away from this life, pretend it never happened and start completely over and then sit with it and watch it. Like, okay, do I really want to run away from my life? Actually, I don't. But what wanting is there that I can honor, that I can give myself, and then to just follow those like little breadcrumbs to where I'm doing so much more of what I want, it feels delicious. 
delicious ice cream or not. Ice yeah, I think that's one. so brilliant. And I th- like I'm translating it through what I teach, right? Because it's yeah. like everything in the world is just filtered through decision making for me. And then we have to start in the same exact place. What do you want? Yeah. And with in my experience of people who think of themselves as like overthinkers or indecisive or confused, that's usually the hardest feeling part of yes. being honest. Yeah. Like I, I want what I want because we're we're usually thinking like I don't know enough or I don't want yes. the right things. So we we have to like we have to double down on like it's okay to focus on this. Yeah. It's like it's okay to make time for this question totally. and get help. from a professional to figure out the answers. And then where where I take people, which is like, I think what I want to talk to you about next, which is like, why does this people-pleasing urge come up, is the fear. Because anytime we're going to make a decision, we have an idea, a desire, a curiosity, a problem to solve, that involves the vulnerable act of imagining deciding something. Yes. And then part of what I teach people is normalizing. As soon as you like are going to make yourself feel vulnerable, your self-defenses are going to like automatically come up with fears and questions. Yes. And what we usually do, I think, is like the fear comes up, even if it's like, oh, I can't be a bad mom. Yeah. I can't be bad health, Sarah. The fear comes up and we're like, oh, fear, run away. And what I teach, and I think what you're saying, you teach too, is just helping people like understand the fear. Be like, well, what would bad Sarah really, like, what would that mean? Yeah. What does that look like? Let's even like figure out what it is so we can understand it better. Yeah. Really like letting people ease into that. I'm like easing into the cold bath again, but I'm like, I don't know if that would be, maybe <laughs> easing into the jacuzzi, right? It's like, let's get used to the yeah. temperatures. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, yeah. what do I want? What do I fear? Yeah. Yeah. So what you said just reminded me of, there's always two types of discomfort going on, right? There's the discomfort of staying where you are, of continuing to be indecisive and confused and overwhelmed. Like that's really uncomfortable. On my end, for my people, it's like the discomfort of continuing to people, please saying yes to things you don't want to do, not speaking up when you really have something to say, but you're afraid you're going to offend people. That is this type of discomfort. The other type of discomfort is the, you know, it, it gets called in health circles, like the hormetic stress where like it's lifting weights, where it hurts to do it, but it's actually good for you. So there's that Mm. type of discomfort too. And so to clearly see and identify both everyone people pleases, it's what we're taught to do from the time we are infants. No one escapes it. So there's the discomfort of staying in it and letting people outside of you really call the shots for your life based on what they want you to do and give them. Or there's mm-hmm. the discomfort of that ninja sovereignty, right? The, the, the radical doubling down on what you want. That is very uncomfortable too. But one yeah. of those discomforts moves you in the direction that you want to take your life and one keeps you where you are. Okay, but Sarah, if I stop saying yes to stuff that I don't want to do, but I am still deeply invested in shaping other people's opinions of me, yeah, what do I do when I say no and they get mad? 
So the person's opinion that matters the most is your opinion of you. And we just forget. We give lip service to that. And and there's an arc. And we have to stay with the whole wave of emotion. So someone asks you for something. The first thing that I teach is you never say yes in the moment. You have some kind of Mm -hmm. memorized phrase that you deploy. I would love to think about that and get back to you. Then you go back to your house. What if they get mad about that? Then they're going to have to get mad about that. (gasps) Okay, keep going. And you breathe. I'm just like translating what everyone listening is thinking as you're saying this. You breathe. And if they're insistent, then you just insist right back. Absolutely. I will be back. I will let you know within 24 hours. Thank you for thinking of me. Like I have my people memorize like four or five different phrases. They can just keep using. Thank you so much. That would be fun to think about. Let me get back to you. I'm going to, or even blame someone else. I got to check with my husband. I need a babysitter for that. I'm not sure if it's going to work out. My mother-in-law asked me to whatever, right? Like Mm. you have, because what happens to people pleasers and people who um, are just so used to saying yes, is they don't even think it through. They just feel like carried away in this moment of someone else wanting something from them. And so once you pause and you go home, then you forecast how much time is it going to take? How much energy is it going to take? What does that actually look like to fit in my day? And then you ask the hardest question, is that what I want? And if the answer is no, it's going to feel awful because then Mm. you know that you have to go back or one of your options is to go back and say, I thought it through and that's just not something that I'm going to be able to do or it doesn't work for me. I don't even care in the beginning if you straight up lie, right? Mm -hmm. It's to give yourself the experience of saying no and not doing it because that's the crest of like the discomfort wave. And then you're so relieved. And so you have to be able to stay with the whole arc of the discomfort, whether it's guilt or obligation or duty or shame, whatever it is, whatever flavor it is, it will pass. And then once it passes and you're like, I didn't die. I said no and I didn't die. And I'm so relieved that I don't have to do that thing now then you can get a little braver and you can say things like, actually, I just don't want to, Mm. you know, which most women just to say, I just don't want to it. It's mortifying because we're trained to believe you have to have really good reasons for not wanting to, you have to be able to justify why you don't want to like just not wanting to, that's not enough, but I'm here to tell you that it is. It's totally enough. Confetti. (laughs) And that I think is we never think about after the crest of emotion. Yes. This is this is where part of this whole like I want people to be so fluent in their fears that it's just another language that they speak. Because if we can get if you can get so crystal clear on what you don't want to happen. Yes. I don't want them to get mad. I don't want them to badmouth that me all over my industry. I don't want them to go home and talk about me. I don't want them to think thoughts in their head about me that I'll never know, but I still don't want it to happen, right? If we can get so crystal clear on that, what you're saying is 
give some airtime to getting crystal clear on what else can happen. Yeah. That you're actually interested in. Like what what's the good stuff that could happen? Like you could be spending your time on what you want. Absolutely. You could be not hating your life because you in this moment you didn't wanted to avoid the discomfort. So you said yes. And then that committed you to like a quarter of bullshit that you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the heart of it is was for me the realization that I am disappointing myself over and over and over and over and over again. And I just, I won't do that anymore. I can't disappoint me. It feels like a betrayal of, and this is after years of practice, right? In the beginning, I had all the same, like, I'm a terrible person. I should be doing this. People expect this of me. This is my job. But now I just think I can't disappoint myself like that. Like if I can do it for reasons that I like, and sometimes I still do. And that's why I I always say like people pleasing, you can't tell on the outside if it's people pleasing or not, because you could have two Mm. people performing the exact same action and you have no idea why they're doing it. But people pleasing is the experience of not feeling like you have a choice, like you have to do it. And so now I feel like I have choice everywhere and I will not disappoint myself and I won't pretend to be someone that I'm not or something that I'm not anymore. I used to pretend I was like 20 different people in 20 different situations. And so that for me, what has felt the most ninja sovereign, like I love that we just made that phrase is that I am. I am me all the time. I am integrated with my wants and my emotions. Sometimes I still feel super shitty. I feel awful. I feel guilty. I feel like I'm failing, right? It doesn't mean that I'm somehow having a different human experience. It's just an integrated experience where I am just me all the time. Yeah. How freeing is that? Like... How much less work? It is so much less work. That's what I wish people understood is that the amount of brain space, time, energy, effort that you spend ruminating, worrying about the past, worrying about the future, trying to figure out what someone else thinks of you, trying to figure out how you could make it up to them, feeling bad about when you think you dropped the ball. I mean, as women, I think our brains are actually better at doing multiple things at once, which can Mm -hmm. be interesting because you're folding the laundry or you're at your job, but your brain is completely somewhere else, you know, worrying, ruminating, self-doubting, judging, criticizing. It's exhausting. And to stop doing that means you actually have more time, more energy, more brain space to do whatever you want with, whether it's nothing or something. Yeah. What about what we what we talked about at the beginning when you said we're just going to like want to keep crafting people's opinions of us? Yeah. How do you respond to someone who's talking about not like a stranger on the street or a colleague they already dislike, but they yeah. like have that urge, like I don't want this person to be mad at me? Yeah. What if it's a partner or a child or a parent? Yeah. What oh, do we do yeah. with those opinions we actually want to care about? Yeah. Two things come immediately to mind. The first thing I would say is, of course you do. 
Yes, that makes mm. so much sense to just love on that impulse. Like actually physically, I put my hands on my chest and I'm like, of course mm -hmm. this matters to you. This makes so much sense. It's not bad. It's not wrong. And that allows me to like, ugh, like take a deep breath and kind of calm down about it. Yeah. Because I think one of the most damaging teachings that is out there is that we can somehow be these emotional islands where we don't need anybody else, where we don't let anybody else affect us. And we just kind of go about our day with this like shield around our emotions. Like I don't cause your emotions. You don't cause mine. Like right. I understand how that, like I don't cause your emotions, but you and I have an effect on each other because we are humans yeah. Because we are made and programmed to be in relationships and communities and friendships where we experience belonging and love and connection. Yeah. So number one, to just love on it and understand it, of course. Number two, to ask yourself the question, what am I most worried about happening here? That they'll be mad at me, that they will disconnect from me, that they will um, have a bad opinion Okay, mm -hmm. that's what I'm most worried about. What is the cost to me to try to ensure that that doesn't happen? I have to pretend, I have to lie, I have to do things I don't really want to do. Mm. And then to get like really tender with myself, be like, yeah. is that okay with you? And most of the time it's not. I fully mm -hmm. own that sometimes I completely pretend because I don't care that much about it. I feel like it's just yeah. the best answer. Like I have a grandmother who's 96, right? And I've made some decisions in my life that I know she wouldn't agree with. I don't talk about them with her. I don't bring them up yeah. with her. And I, yeah. I, I feel fine about that because the cost just isn't that high. And so I feel like when you can calm yourself down, ask yourself what you're worried about, figure out what the cost is to you, then you can make a better decision and really own it and not feel yeah. like it's happening to you. Yes. Which is so magical because it then gives you more options, right? Absolutely. There's not a right option, which is don't ever people please ever. Right. And there's a wrong option, which then it gets complicated because it's like, well, is disappointing people wrong? Is like yeah. saying yes is, is something. Blah, 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 blah. And I think that what you're describing is like, it's like a, it's like a Narnia of options. It's like walk yeah. into this closet because once you get to see all the options, it's like you get to choose what to care about. Do I care about this cost? Do I care about this benefit? Yes. Like, yes. And then you get to feel totally at ease with whatever you decide. Yeah. Like I choose this on purpose for reasons that I like and done keep not people pleasing will never happen. It just will never yeah. happen. And it shouldn't be the goal because actually our relationships are benefited by when I please you. And when you please me, it benefits us in that, you know, connected friendship, loving community way. Like if I do something that I know you like that you respond well to, so the goal is to not ever people please. It's to do things for reasons that you are conscious of and that you like. And so you end up being 
any version of the person you actually want to be. Absolutely. One and only one. Because you don't want to get to the end. I mean, I reference this book all the time. I don't know if you're a fan of it or anything, but the Bronnie Ware book, The Five Top Regrets of the Dying, the top Um, five regrets of the dying. Yeah. No, I'm going to read it. It's based on a blog article. So you can like check the blog article out if you just want the regrets piece because she worked in palliative care for a long time. The book is interesting because it's also, um, it's like half the stories of the regrets and half the stories of like her memoir. Yeah. Which she's lived a fascinating life. But the number one regret, and this is not based on um, research. This is not like a worldwide survey, but it's a compelling ass story of she spent so many years with dying people. And no matter what age they were, interestingly enough, the number one regret that she heard was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one people expected of me. And that's not what we want because you're going to work so, so, so hard to manage people's opinions of you. And then you're going to get to the end and you're going to then you're going to start asking these questions that you're challenging people to ask now, which is, what's the cost to me? And am I okay with that? It's not a question you want to ask in hindsight. It's, what was the cost? And is was that okay? Like, is that okay yeah, with me now? Yeah. When there's not an opportunity yeah. to make any changes anymore, that's that's tough. But I think living the life that you want is the bravest thing that a person can do. We're not set up to, we're not set up for it, right? No, no. We're not set up for it to be easy. No. Oh, no. And and in fact, we're taught the opposite, that our life should be, our, our life shouldn't inconvenience anyone else. You know, our life shouldn't, shouldn't stand out in ways where, you know, it's, it's us over them. But I have, um, I have had the experience of profoundly disappointing my parents yeah. And it was the most the most excruciating and the most liberating thing I've ever done. And to be on the other side of that now, it's one of like the moments when my life changed forever. It's like if I can survive disappointing them, I can do anything. <laughs> well, and I think that comes back to something that I talk about with clients a lot when we're talking through these decisions they want to make and what are we afraid of. Yeah. One thing that becomes clear often, which they're not super aware of until we like shine a light on it, is one of the fears of not saying yes to somebody, people pleasing, saying like what what we think they want to hear. Yeah. One of the fears is they're going to disappoint me. Yes. Comes up a lot with like career changers, I find, because I work with a lot of people who want to carve their own path and like they've been doing something by the book for a long time and they want to change it up and be happier. And they're afraid of like telling their friends and they're afraid of telling their boss. And really, initially, it feels like, well, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to quit and like burden everyone around me, all the things. And then when we get further into it, it's like, but what if they did? Like, what if what if your boss responded really shittily? Yeah. Like then wouldn't that be a shame? Or what if your friend wasn't supportive? Like I want to know your thoughts on that because some of some of the, I, the fears I find around people pleasing are that like the people we love and want to have good opinions of us, we're going to find out they're not really the people we want them to be in that moment. Oh, absolutely. And then the question is, okay, now that I have this information – that I love information. And so I think to have information is better than not. 
And so if I Mm. tell my boss, listen, I'm just not available for these extra work projects that I'm not going to be paid for anymore. That's not working for me anymore. And I get a shitty response. Like I actually want to know that because then with good information, I can make better decisions. Mm. I can decide like, is this relationship something I want to put long-term effort into? Because we all know, and we might not know it consciously, but when you have like a, what I call like a bottomless pit relationship where you can keep giving, giving and giving and giving and giving, and it's never going to be enough. Is that okay with you? Is that a relationship that you want to keep giving to? And if you want to do it for reasons that you're conscious of and you like, great. But most of the time, that's not where we're coming from. And so to know that, you know, um, my parents are profoundly disappointed in me and that is affecting their behavior toward me in this way. I want to know that because then maybe I, I will get to make better decisions. Or if my boss, you know, in the, in the example we were just talking about, I want to know that so that it can guide my decisions better because the most precious resource I have is me, my time, my energy, and my effort. And I just want to be really careful about where I put that and that it has the type of return on the investment that it should. That's not, it's not an endless resource. It's not. I love, I just love your whole take on well, everything, but I, I, I love that you're being very honest and transparent that this is not a light switch. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm a people pleaser or whatever. I make misaligned decisions, whatever. And then I sw- flip the switch and then I don't. Because it is brave to open yourself to disappointing people. And it is brave to open yourself to being disappointed by people. Absolutely. And it's it's brave also because it's like a lot of people aren't up for that emotional management, like that right. level of emotional experience in their human lives. Yeah. And that's also fine. It, which is also fine. So we're not saying it's like, it's going to be an easy ride as soon as yeah. you decide like, I'm never going to people please again. Yeah. But it's, it's not an easy ride either way. It's not, it's a practice just like yoga, right? It's something that we engage with over and over and over again. But I think the thing that people miss is that you're doing it anyway. You're engaging anyway. You're making stories up anyway. Why not engage with it and make stories up consciously or engage consciously? Because it's happening anyway. It's not like there's this what one of my mentors, Carl Lowenthal calls, you know, this free, this off ramp off the freeway of the human experience, we're doing it anyway. So yeah. if our relationships are happening anyway, if we're making up stories about what's going on anyway, we might as well just do it consciously. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I could talk about freaking hours. Um, I want to ask you my three interviewee questions because now everyone is obsessed with you and they can't wait to hear your answers. Obviously. Okay. The first one's easy because you're a coach. Yes. Part of my mission in life is also just like normalizing getting help with everything because yes. just like you said, we are human creatures. Like our species is not meant to live on islands, emotional or otherwise. Right. So I always want to find ways to demystify coaching and and normalize getting support. So my first question is just what would you say to someone 
who thinks they might want to get coaching? What do they do with that like thought bubble? I think you honor it because when, when your wanting is brought up by something, whether your curiosity is piqued or your interest is caught by something, I think that's actually a very sacred moment because it's, it's something that is coming up from you as, as a need or a want or a desire. And if you answer it, it might not be that that exact thing is going to be what you thought it was, but it will be a path or a trail, like I said, of the breadcrumbs of your wanting, and it will lead you to good things for you. So do something with that. Start following some coaching podcasts, join a coaching program for one of the things in your life that you would like, you know, some help around, just dip your toe in and see what happens. I'm obsessed with this idea of following the breadcrumbs of your wanting. Oh, it is. And and the thing is, I think it's sacred. And especially for women where we have shut ourselves down or been shut down, to honor that is such a beautiful, rebellious thing. Mm. Okay. So on that note, my second question is what kind of decision maker do you consider yourself to be? You know what, this is, I love that you told me you were going to ask this because what I realized is I have become the type of decision maker where I really just trust, number one, that I'm capable and resourceful enough to handle whatever happens. Mm. And I'm going to be really, really gentle and gracious with myself no matter what. I have really developed the skill of having my own back. And so I don't fret a lot about decisions. I think sometimes it short circuits (laughs) what what could be a little bit more of like a factual process. Because I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to try this. Whatever happens, I can handle it. I'm going to be really nice to myself no matter what. No matter what, I'm never going to shit on myself for a decision that I've made. Um, I have some decisions that I look back on with some pain and regret. And I think that that is totally normal, but I am really just gentle and loving with myself. And like, of course it made sense to you at the time. Of course you did what you thought was best going forward. I think sometimes I get kind of caught up in this, like knowing or intuition. That's not a real strong thing for me yet. I'm trying to develop that for myself, but what I do trust absolutely is that no matter what happens, I can figure it out and I'm going to be really nice to myself about it. Ugh, I'm throwing so much confetti for that <laughs> because that's what we want to bottle. Yeah. Right? That's how I define self-trust. Self-trust is one of like the three pillars that I teach. And it's literally that you you gave the definition. It's like I, I call it an awareness and cultivation yeah. of your resilience and your resourcefulness. We have to believe we're resilient and resourceful. Yeah. We have to just believe that that's true. And we have to cultivate it. We have to actually be like in touch with Yes. How much am I surviving? How much am I solving every single second of every day? Yeah, totally. And I've been talking a lot about the same thing where most of my work and getting better at decisions has just been learning self-compassion. Oh, I think it is the linchpin skill for women. It just changes. It changes everything. We are so hard on ourselves most of the time about so many things and it's, debilitating and paralyzing and it just is a shitty way to live and thankfully super 
changeable, even if it's been your way of life for decades and decades and decades. Absolutely. And on that note, third question, you already did, so this might not be hard, but what's the self-honoring decision that you want to share with us that you made recently? Um, This morning to not do the hard thing was really, it was actually emotional. I cried because I could feel my body saying, thank you. Thank you for like not pushing us. And I often imagine myself in conversation with my body because I've spent a lot of decades like separate from my body where I was just kind of all up in my head. And so when I, and actually when I got in the water, like I was kind of curled up, which I think that's just, you know, human instinct. And my brain was like, straighten out, let go. And my body was like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm doing, give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a second. And so to get out of the water and to have my body just say, thank you. Thank you. That was perfect. We didn't need to push it. That was perfect for this morning. I didn't have to do the hard thing for some imaginary pat on the back and blue ribbon that Mm. is made up anyway. Yes. And I think that's profound because I'm the same way. All my clients are the same way. We're very good at living in our heads and it can take some effort to like live and exist and experience life in real time in our bodies. Yeah. And I think it's profound because it's a wacky question. That's why I ask everyone because I'm like self-honoring decisions. It's not something that's like in our everyday language, but it's what we want. It's all we want. Yeah. And how you know you've made one or you're making one, like you can check in. Yeah. Are you making a decision that feels terrible in your body? Are you shallow breathing? Are you like your shoulders hunched up? Or is your body thanking you? I think yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, my mind is blown and I have to go digest this conversation for the next like four days. So thanks for that. You're very welcome. This has been, these are my favorite <laughs> kind of conversations because they're so, I think, relevant and you're such a smart, amazing person. And so to have had this conversation with you has just been a complete honor. Oh, same Z's. I think that the work you do in the world is invaluable. And I appreciate you putting so much work into it because you make the hard stuff easier for everyone else, right? Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is probably for you, you feel the same way about, you know, when you meet with your group and your people, it's like Christmas morning to me. Every single time we get to talk about people pleasing, it's just my favorite thing in the world. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your brilliance and your enthusiasm and your stories. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Hey, if you loved this episode, you got to grab your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Easy Decisions. You'll get six instant solutions to get out of your head and feel certain about your next choice. Just go to kirstenparker.com forward slash guide to grab it. And make sure to subscribe so you can catch every week's episode to keep building your decision mastery and become an X overthinker. See you soon.